My name is Caitlin Cook. Most of my friends call me Cece, but I do not have a preference for either name. Either one is fine. I am a graduate student at Cal State Northridge right now. I'm in the mass communication program, um, and I'm currently working as an intern for two different companies uh, where I get to write coverage about entertainment and technology, which is ideal for me because those are my two favorite topics in journalism. Um, uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, or uh, they, then theirs. Either one is fine. Um, and then I identify as bisexual and non-binary. I don't know. I feel like 2020 kind of was like four years in and of itself. Did you come out as non-binary within that or was it before? So discovering I was non-binary was before. Uh, coming out was during. Gotcha. Yeah. What was that journey like for you and why did you feel, or maybe you didn't, it was just good, like a different type of feeling during 2020. What made you come out in 2020? And then what, how long or what was that journey for you to that point? You know, I first heard of being non-binary when I was like 18. Um, and I think, I think like a lot of people who were raised in a more conservative environment, um, you know, the same, the same as people who would, were raised in that environment. Um, I kind of thought it was silly at first, you know, and, um, but, you know, I, you know, I eventually became a lot more accepting and made a lot more sense to me as I learned more about it. Um, but it never really, um, it didn't really resonate with me that much. And it's actually really funny to look back on that because I think the reason it didn't resonate with me is exactly what makes me a non-binary person. So, and what I mean by that is I would like, if someone asked me what non-binary meant, cause they were trying to learn, I would explain it to them. And then I would say things like, cause like they would ask me questions like, you know, what makes you non-binary? Why can't you just be a masculine woman or a feminine man? Like they would ask me questions like that. And I would like, I would say things along the lines of like, you know, I feel like a more, maybe a more masculine woman and, you know, um, but I don't really care that much about my gender label. So I like, that's not just, that's not something that I'm interested in labeling myself as, and I'm okay with being a woman. Um, and I think that me saying that in response to those questions was a real testament to how indifferent I am about gender in general, because I didn't care about my gender. So I didn't feel like putting a label on it. And I was perfectly fine with how I'd always labeled myself, you know, it first like kind of dawned on me when I was 20 years old and I was seeing a show with some friends and I put on this really pretty dress that I had bought, but just never wore. I, I've never really been an overtly feminine person, um, but that night I just, I was like, I wanna feel pretty tonight, you know? So I did that. And then I expected to, I curled my hair and I put on the dress and I expected to look in the mirror and be like, hot mama, you know? But I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I did it. I looked in the mirror and I was like, what is this? <laughs> you know, and it wasn't like, you know, cause it was like in my head, I knew I looked good. You know, I knew that I was going to just be a showstopper whenever I walked into the room, you know, and it wasn't just like a level of dissatisfaction. Like, you know, I don't normally wear this. It's not, it wasn't like, I'm not used to this. It was like, I'm deeply uncomfortable right now. <laughs> and I, the fact that I was that deeply uncomfortable and it was, it was more profound than just being like, I'm not used to this. That said a lot to me about like my own perception of my gender expression and identity. So thus began a two year journey to, until I eventually just, um, you know, came out to myself, I guess. I came out to my best friend. Well, she, it's funny. I, I, I'm a very open person, but this was like the one thing that I was, I just could not get myself to talk to people about. So my best friend eventually like brought it up to me because she knows me, she knows me so well. And, um, you know, what, one day I was talking about how, like, I was trying to like put on an outfit and I was like, just deeply uncomfortable with this outfit. And this, this one didn't feel right either. And, um, and she was like, you yeah, know, I think you might be non-binary. And she just like blurted it out there. And I was like, 
yes, I, yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, and then I eventually mustered up the courage to tell um, my straight boyfriend. Um, and that was, um, that was a very odd experience for both of us because, you know, he's a straight guy. He never expected his girlfriend to come out as not a girl, you know? And right. so he was, he was like, he was not expecting it. He, he was, uh, you know, uh, he just, he just didn't know what to do at first um, and didn't know how to think about it. Um, but, you know, after some conversation, um, he became my biggest supporter. So I just kind of sat in that for a little bit, just slowly coming out to my closer friends. Um, and it was kind of a big moment every time. And the more close I was with someone, the more big, the bigger of a deal it was for me to come out to them. You know, I realized that like I, you know, all my all my close friends know and um, I like to be open with people. And now that I feel comfortable with all my friends knowing, I think I'm comfortable with the world knowing, you know? So um, the, it, it was really just like a timeline. And I realized like in late September that coming out day was coming up. So I was like, okay, I'll just wait until, until you know, coming out day. And then, so I like, I had a whole plan um, to come out on Instagram. So it was really, it was really just, um, my my timeline just worked all the way up until coming out day and I, i'm glad I, I didn't run into a situation where I, I like had to pick my own coming out day like it was picked for me yeah. which was nice <laughs> <laughs> so and i did that and it was a really really wonderful experience because you know i i don't have anyone in my life who has been like weird about it or anything like they're all immediately like okay what pronouns do you want me to use you know just immediately it's awesome you know so i'm very lucky very lucky for that reason and yeah so that that was my coming out experience did you at all celebrate pride growing up and then how does that kind of trail into your adulthood and how do you celebrate pride now so I guess the first thing that I should say is that um, pride parades in small towns are not, I mean, I think they're growing. I think more and more small towns are having little pride parades, but definitely not when I was growing up. If there was, I just didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but when I was growing up, no, for, for sure. Um, I, I mean, people, I had a lot of friends in high school who were very either gay themselves or closeted themselves um, or, you know, accepting or allies. Um, and they would go all the way to Columbus for the pride parade. And I would see pictures on Facebook from the pride parade, you know, cause I think they would all have to go all the way to Columbus. And we, we were like 70 miles away from Columbus. So that's like not exactly a short drive. Right. Um, so that was like kind of, that's kind of the effort that you had to do. I think it's getting better, but I think when you're a small town queer, that's like a, a an effort that you have to make. You have to kind of like drive places in order to meet your people sometimes, you know? Yeah. I had a period when I was in like seventh grade when um, I was, I was, I hadn't been manipulated by the church yet. They mm -hmm. hadn't gotten that far with me yet because, because <laughs> they were trying, there were people <laughs> trying to disciple to me. Um, I, I was, um, I was questioning my, my faith and cause I was raised Catholic and um, I was, you know, starting to, to have the feelings that I have now where I'm like, I don't think there is a God. There's just no, not enough evidence and I can't wrap my mind around um, there being a God when I have no evidence. Um, so I was like in that mindset. Um, and with that, um, I was also just rejecting pretty much all the conservative mindsets that I was surrounded by. Um, and so I was like, I was online and reading about queer people and reading about like the things that they have to go through. And maybe I'll, I was probably mildly like discovering my sexuality myself when I, when I felt safe to. Um, and there was this one time <laughs> when there was like, um, 
there was like an event on Facebook that I found and it was a call for people to wear purple on this day. And the, it was, it was uh, remembering trans people who had, or it was either gay or trans or both people, just queer people um, who had been killed for, for being queer. Um, and I was like, that's, that sounds like a good thing for me to commemorate. And then I can wear purple and tell people why I'm wearing purple and I can spread awareness, you know? So I did that. And I remember telling someone at school why I was wearing purple. And I knew that she was like one of those Christians mm -hmm. and she was just like horrified, not, not because people died, but because I was supporting these people who died, right. you know, it was, it was insane. Um, so, um, so that, that, but that's probably like, that's the only memory I have of like kind of celebrating any sort of pride when I was growing up. And do you celebrate pride now? Because I know that there's, you know, a more corporate and capitalized yeah. version of pride that we all see. And how yeah. do you, do you think that you sort of fit into that or do you kind of drift away from that? And what does it kind mm, of do? That's a good question. You? That's a really good question. I guess, let me, uh, let me uh, touch upon the corporate pride thing real quick. Um, I don't think I have any strong opinions about the whole corporate pride rainbow capitalism issue that hasn't already been said on a very large scale like there was it was literally on the news the other day they did a whole segment on rainbow capitalism so i think that has enough of a platform but um right i mean i would agree that it's like with with what everyone's saying that it's just, it's just so disingenuous um and i think that blues clues uh, I don't know if you saw the Blues Clues thing. Um, oh my God, Blues Clues and you did like a, a little segment with like a drag queen and she's singing about like a pride parade and like all of, like a bunch of different uh, queer identities are represented. That to me is as genuine as like, as, as I've ever seen because, you know, when you're a kid's show, you really run the risk of turning parents off from your product when you start to support things like that. You know, I mean, parents let their kids watch these things because it's age appropriate, but there are also a lot of parents who don't think that showing queerness is age appropriate. So I thought that that was really wonderful to see. Um, I also saw that MasterCard did something where you can like, um, you can put your, your, your real name instead of your given name. Um, if you have like a different one, um, <clears throat> like if you haven't legally changed your name yet, you know, you can like put your chosen name on there, which I thought was also like pretty cool. Celebrating pride now, do I fit into that? So um, it depends on your definition of celebrating pride. Um, I have never been to a pride parade actually. Um, and at first that felt weird to me cause I like never felt the urge to go to one and I'll probably go to one eventually, but there's a stigma about people like me coming to pride because I, I am what people would consider like straight passing or cis passing. Uh, and I, I, th I think I would like to think that the majority of queer people are like, you know, they're, they're not the, the, the type to say you don't belong here because you don't look queer enough. I, I like to think that most people are not like that, mm -hmm. um, but it does like, it's, I don't know, it makes me, it's always made me feel a little bit unwelcome in queer spaces. Uh, unwelcome maybe it too, too strong of a word, but um, <clears throat> I don't know, like if I were to show up with my boyfriend, I would feel a little bit weird because I look like a girl and he is a straight man, you know? Um, like I know that I, belong in those spaces and I know that I you know in a perfect world should be welcomed by all in those spaces like most of my friends are queer and I always feel like you know they're they're wonderful and they never they never ever make me feel like I like don't belong in that space at all so um yeah for the for the most part that's 
that's my kind of my relationship with pride. I think <laughs> I think I celebrate pride 12 months out of the year just by being queer. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's it's you know, June is just like any other month honestly <laughs> when you are queer. I think us as or me as a black person feels about February. Um, I bet, yeah, yep. Although I love the the the, you know, performative activism I feel like what it is in some mm -hmm. ways I I do love that there's a time that we can be celebrated I often don't feel like I need to participate mm -hmm. because I'm participating daily you get me yeah get, me. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it and it's and I and I, I I find it very interesting because a lot of people have said the same thing when mm -hmm. I asked that question how you celebrate pride in the month of June because it's something that you walk around doing every day and you have to, it's either pride or it's, you have to fight something because of pride. You know what Interesting. I mean? Interesting. It's almost like, it's almost like pride month and black history month are more for the allies than it is right. for the actual people right. that it's celebrating. Or it's in some sort of way, an educating moment when it shouldn't be just during that month. Talking about performative activism, I don't know how much, how active you were throughout 2020, but was there ever a moment that you felt um, sort of like someone was being performative, whether it be for BLM or for anything that happened during 2020 or anything that's happened before that you either felt inclined to call out or not call out? And what was that experience like for you? Um, I think the thing that I try to keep in mind as much as possible when it comes to, um, you know, fighting against injustices that don't affect me, like racial injustice, um, I, one of my biggest policies is like, you know, know when it's your time to sit down, shut up and amplify the voices that, you know, do matter right now. Basically just know when it's your, your turn to shut up. Um, and when you are shutting up, do what you can to amplify the voices of the, those oppressed in, in whatever situation you're dealing with, you know, whether it be racial injustice, whether it be injustices against, against queer people, like whatever, like if you're not part of the group that you're defending or, you know, championing, like know when it's your time to just zip, <laughs> you know. Um, I had, I have a professor um, this past semester who I, I, I developed a really wonderful relationship with and he opened my eyes a lot to certain things. Um, and one thing that he did was, um, we so we would share like news stories and sorry if i'm rambling but no. we, would share, we would share like news stories um every class so that we could like you know sh share the stories and report them and like um learn how to think critically about them so he was really good at getting everyone to think critically about their stories he would always ask us challenging questions oftentimes he would ask questions that maybe a more bigoted person would ask as a way to get us to like know how to respond when someone asks questions like that right uh, and I and I always knew when he was doing it, except for this one time. So he, um, someone was reporting a story about how um, this company was like putting together this this program to help women like build entrepreneurial skills and things like that, and just self confidence or whatever. You know, it was one of those programs that we all know. <laughs> and he asked, um, he asked, are they doing anything for boys? And you know, I thought that this was an example of him being like. Um, you know, asking us a dumb question, but he was actually very genuine. And what he was asking, and this is this is where I get to the point. <laughs> um, he was asking, you know, 
um, the, you know, you have these programs to help girls and that's wonderful. But why, why do I see so much of that and so little of programs that teach boys how to respect women and things like things of that nature? And I was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> you're right. So, you know, I think, um, I think anyone who says that the oppressors do not have a stake or a place in the, in the revolution or whatever you want to call it would just be very sadly mistaken um, because I think we do but we need to know what our place is. And that is probably the first step to being a good ally is like knowing where your place is. You asked about performative activism. I think a lot of it is like, just like feeling like you have to, to insert yourself because it, you know, you know, it means that you're doing something, but just cause you're doing something doesn't mean that you're doing what you should be doing, you know, in these situations. Anyway, yeah, so that's kind of like my ramble about performative activism. I think that it's just a lot of it is just really just white people inserting themselves where they really don't need to be inserting themselves, you know. The reason I bring up performative activism is because I think that there are certain people that do tend to use their voices a lot in any situation and they're very open and honest and just talk to talk to hear themselves talk. But there's also people, I guess, like me who I often feel like I want to be that person that will speak up for other people and would like for other people to speak up for me when I can't. But I, and that's really where this whole project comes from is I don't know enough and I want to be able to learn and to advocate in the proper way. So for people who, you know, don't feel like they have a voice or are too scared to use their voice or feel like they don't know enough do you feel like there are other ways for them not only to just educate themselves, but to be proper allies in different ways? Because I know if you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, there are people that were protesting, but there are people who don't feel comfortable protesting who do other things. Yeah. Very many facets of being an ally. And I guess for anyone like to just use their voice or is it educating others? Because I know that's a big thing in the Black community is we don't feel like we should have to educate you on things that yeah. are in history books or soon to not be in history books, but you know, where, where, where are the different, you know, doors to go through to be good allies and, or is it just be a good ally in general or mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? I, I would definitely agree with the like, you know, we, it's not our job to educate you sort of thing. I think that's definitely really relevant with us as well. But at the same time, like, I also know that like with, with queerness, um, it is extremely complicated mm -hmm. um, and extremely, extremely abstract. Um, and I understand that there are definitely questions that are definitely not dumb. Um, even if they are very basic questions to me, I understand that like they can still be very hard to grasp sometimes because of how we've, how we've learned about like gender and sexuality. So I get that. I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding us because um, our labels are extraordinarily fluid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's, you know, like being bisexual, like calling yourself bisexual does not mean the same thing that it used to. Being bisexual used to mean I like men and women, but now it can mean that or it can mean um, gender is not a factor in whether or not I'm attracted to someone, which is, which is what it means for me. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm attracted to men and women. I mean, it means that like, I literally don't care, um, <laughs> you know, but then, then on the other hand, it gets complicated because um, some people would say, well, you're actually pansexual then. And it's like, yeah, 
I guess, but that's, you know, bi is the label that I chose for myself a long time ago. And I just kind of don't feel like changing it, you know, and it's, yeah. it still works and I can still justify it, you know? Do you feel like within your field of work, cause I know it is an art form in some ways, journalism. Sure. Um, and I guess you can also talk about the entertainment industry that you, you as a queer person or anyone that you know is accurately represented because I feel like in some ways they're trying in other ways they're trying in the wrong ways um just is, is there any point that you were like oh that is true or is it mostly you tried there are guidelines there is actually um I don't know what they're called but there's like an organization of like trans journalists or queer journalists or something and they have like a whole like set of rules for when you're like um it's like a style guide for when you're writing about queer people and um one thing that I see that does get messed up a lot um, is when a famous person comes out as trans and changes their name, oftentimes um, the reporters will say like, this actor previously known as this is now this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you, uh, it's, it's, it's hard because um, that's, that's also a, a subject of debate actually within the queer community that I've noticed. Cause like this, this like style guide says, it's okay to do this at like, like when they first come out so people know who you're talking about. Um, but then never do it again. But then there are other people on the other side saying like, never, ever, ever dead name someone, <laughs> you know? So I think it's always like in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. I think a lot of things are like that when it comes to oppression <clears throat> oppression and how oppressed people view their o- own oppression. You know, right. people are always gonna view it differently, which is so, it's complicated when you're trying to be an ally sometimes, you know? Um, I've definitely noticed that uh, trying to be an ally to the black community. Like I, I see all these different viewpoints and I'm like, where, where, you know, who, who do I listen to, you know? Uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to know, like, at one point, am am I supposed to form my own opinion, you know, because it's, (laughs) because this isn't, you know, this isn't about me. Um, so that's always a complicated thing that I, I will probably never know. I don't think any of us will ever truly know how to navigate that if we're in, in the effort to be an ally, um, to people, but anyway, uh, yeah, back to the original question. So, um, Yeah, so I don't generally see a whole lot of like bad news coverage, Um, but um, as far as like representation in newsrooms, I can only really speak to my own uh, newsroom, the one that I'm currently in. Um, We, I've noticed that we have um, quite a bit of queer representation in my newsroom, my own newsroom, so that's pretty nice, but I cannot speak for the whole like the whole journalism field. Um, I do know that journalism has a huge issue with centering white voices. Uh, and there have been many attempts um, over the past year or so to try to clean that up in newsrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't seen a whole lot of that when it comes to like queer reporting. So um, anyway, I think I, I think you also mentioned like entertainment. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I can say about like, because I analyze representation in media a lot. Like it's just one thing that I do in my brain a lot. I mainly focus on like uh, female representation um because right. I, I think I think it's just very interesting like why it's like the fact that it's so hard for men to write women so well like when you literally just have to write them as people uh, <laughs> <you know? laughs> um uh but I, I don't know I'm trying to think um I I can think of one example that I saw like last year that really annoyed me mm-hmm. um but so I think the big rule of thumb if you're gonna if you are going to write a character who is a member of an oppressed group that you are not a part of, um, then you need to write them as people and not 
tokens, <laughs> you know, right. um, that's a big thing. Um, so I watched this, I, I, I'll name the movie, I'll name drop it. It's called Chemical Hearts. Um, it was that movie on Amazon Prime that was starring uh, Lily Reinhardt and I don't remember who else. Um, and uh, it was mainly Lily Reinhardt because she's, she's amazing. Um, but this movie really annoyed me because it was about like this guy and girl who like, um, they don't really fall in love, but they like have a thing. Um, and there are these two side characters and um, they're like a lesbian couple. Um, and they like, it, it frustrated me so much because um, they have like a storyline and it's like at the beginning they're not together and they have like a crush on each other and eventually they like, they like ask each other out or whatever. And they like, they're like a couple. And it's, it was frustrating to me to, for me to watch because that's it. <laughs> like that's literally their whole thing. And they have whole scenes just dedicated to their, to their relationship. But it's like, what does this have to do with the rest of the movie? It was just like little, it's, it's just like, look at me, I'm representing gay people. Look at me, you know? And they, they were also like two of the only people of color in the movie, both of them, because the two makers were oh, white. And I was just like, I was just, checking two boxes. yeah, yeah. Checking two of those boxes. And I was just like, uh, do better like don't <laughs> if you're gonna do this don't even write these characters like it's it's right. honestly more it's more insulting to see it like that you know um yeah so literally just write just write us as people <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's literally it's literally it's it, it, it is that simple you know and it's 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 silly to me how how hard it can be for people sometimes you know um anyway I think that's all I really have to say about that <laughs> Is there anything that you could look back at younger CC, whatever age, a pivotal moment, maybe not, that you could give current you advice to past you? Yeah, telling my, myself some, my, my, my younger self something it would just be like, you know, be honest with yourself. Don't make rash decisions. Um, think about things before you do them and say them. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's overall. Um, and I think that would probably also apply to like my queer identity too. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, at the same time though, like I think um, there isn't really anything that I would tell my younger self when it, when it uh, comes to my queer identity, because I think that my journey to coming to terms with it and coming out was exactly as it should have been. I think that's one of the things that I do not regret at all. Like I do not regret, like, I mean, I do regret in a way, like not being able to be like, you know, proud about my bisexuality when I was a kid. Um, but at the same time, I couldn't have been, <laughs> you know, the environment that I was in. Um, so I, I don't have any regrets when it comes to, you know, discovering my queer identity and coming out about my queer identity. Um, but yeah, I think that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> and then separate from yourself, what is your advice to any sort of young queer person living in today's world based on what you've experienced? mainly what I would say to queer people right now is like you your identity is your own um you know no one gets to decide it for you it's all you and you know you can get input from other people you can have discussions with other people about you know how you feel about your identity and things like that but at the end of the day like it is you what labels you choose to describe yourself are your decision um and no one can take that away from you also I think something else that's important to know is that like your identity is fluid, whether you like it or not, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, you are not strictly this or that. 
Um, no one is. And it's okay if you identified as straight at this point and that now you identify as gay. Like, that's okay. You know, there, there are no rules um, to how you can identify. Don't ever let anyone make you feel bad for just wanting to know yourself and how you fit into this world that seems to think that there's only one right way to love someone. There's only one right way to, you know, express your gender or feel your gender. Um, you know, it's, it's tough for all of us because we live in this, this world, this, this westernized culture where, you know, there is only one way to do this and that, but we are all so different and that is awesome. And, you know, the more you understand yourself and the more free you are to understand yourself, the, the more that we all have that going for us, the better overall I think so yeah <laughs> awesome well that is all that I had I learned a lot from you and this conversation and I hope that you felt or I think you felt comfortable talking and I hope that you enjoyed it I did thank you I'm excited to see what comes of this <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> have a great night <laughs> you too bye bye